wrestling world making a big fuss because these two guys did an hour-long draw. Well, my co-host used to do those six or seven times a week. Let me introduce to you the original 60-Minute Man. He is the 16-time world champion. He's the nature boy, Ric Flair. Nature, 60 minutes. That ain't nothing for a man like you, is it? <laughs> it's a lot for any man. And credit to both those guys. I, uh, You know, when we talk about people, just because I don't, I'm not over the top that someone is an individual, something about them personally, it just you asked me the question about Daniel Bryan, I, I think I think he's good, very good. I just said he's not Ricky Steamboat. So, but I thought those guys, uh, he and Cage had a hell of a match. Well, and, let's, uh, let's talk about that, Nate. It was a one-hour draw on AEW TV. And, and let's talk about the, the work. Let's break that down. What did you like about the work? What didn't you like? What made it good? What made it good was the pacing. They didn't slow down. In today's TV, I'm not even, I'm not even convinced right now as great as Harley Race was or Terry or Dory or Jack or whatever group we're, we're, we're placed in. Hopefully I'm part of that, one of those groups that um, it, it, it makes a difference, um, you know, because the fans, it's a different, it's a different, different scenario with the fans that are watching now. Yes, the old time fans appreciate it. I don't know if the, if the new time fans do or not, I guess. You know, I didn't see what the ratings were, but um, I appreciate the hard work. And, and, and I'm telling you, less than 10% of the guys in the business today could do an hour, could do an hour like that. Maybe, maybe, maybe less than 10%. I think it's probably a, a smaller number than that, Nate. And uh, I thought the match was outstanding. The ratings were good. They, they went up during the match. They gained viewers each quarter hour, and, and that speaks to its success. It does, and that, and that speaks volumes to the word wrestling. You know, it's not always talking. It's not always all the backstage stuff. If it's two good guys that can really work like those kids can, and then they, they, they had a hell of a match. I wouldn't have tweeted that out if I didn't think so. I guess I'm just being part of social media now, which I'm, I like being part of, you know, on the, on the positive side of it. <laughs> but I can't lie. As a matter of fact, those guys had a hell of a match. And I'm proud to, I'm proud to, to say that about both of them as, as having been a guy that did, as I said, more hour draws than anybody in the history of the business. And to answer, and answer your question, I did seven one week with Ricky Morton, seven, another week with Ricky Morton. And then I've done, uh, in the week of Florida, I've probably, I've tried to figure it out since you asked me that question. I've probably done somewhere between 40 and 50 weeks of our Broadway. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, yeah. If you I, mean, I, mean, I mean, without a break. When I went to Florida... It was an hour West Palm Beach, an hour in Tampa Tuesday, TV an hour Wednesday night, hour Thursday Jacksonville, hour Friday in uh, Sarasota, hour in the Bayfront, and then as an example in Florida, I would wrestle in Ocala for an hour in the afternoon on Sunday in Orlando that night for an hour. So, and that's uh, that's when I had a hard time sleeping was in Florida. <laughs> you gotta celebrate the hour, man. <laughs> Well, let me offer a few minor criticisms of the match, and I thought it was terrific, but just a few things that, that, that I see is an hour too long. I think that match works just as well as a 30-minute draw. Well, I, 
I, I'm not arguing with you, but you said the, the you said the ratings went up. They're the, they're in the body of the match, so so it, it proves. It depends on who's in it, but in this case, it proved that it wasn't too long, because they could have pulled that match off in 30 minutes, put something else in there they didn't like, and they would have dropped. So who's to say? Is a draw a bad finish? Danielson also had a draw with Omega not too long ago. Do the fans accept? An hour draw? A, yeah, an hour draw. Do the fans accept? It might have been half hour. My memory uh, is. I don't remember is, an hour draw on TV for a long time. Well, no, Danielson and Omega definitely did a draw. I guess it was a half an hour draw. Now that you mention it, but uh, don't fans want winners and losers well, Mark, in, in Mark? Big difference between an hour and a half hour. Well, That's no, but a half hour longer. <laughs> I know, I know. I, I couldn't do it. I did three minutes with Gene Okerlund. I nearly had a cerebral <laughs> hemorrhage. But uh, but do fans accept draws? Forget about the hour. Forget about the half hour. Do they accept draws? If it's a good one, hell yeah, absolutely. If it stinks to join out, no. So you got to know who the players are. You have to have confidence. I'm sure Tony has had a ton of confidence in both of them, as they did themselves. Um, and they they went out and they put together a hell of a match. And I, the thing that I'm most proud of is that probably less than 10% of the guys in in both companies could do it could do an hour at that pace. You had two hour-long matches on TV against Wyndham and against Steamboat. Let's talk about the Wyndham draw first. That was on syndication. It was the whole show. The uh, entire show was you and Barry, and that was unheard of at the time. Yeah. Um, well, there's another guy. I can't say enough about Barry Wyndham. You know, you, people forget that Barry is six foot six, weighed 260 pounds, and to be able to go an hour, never take a breath, I mean, and stay out all night long with me. He never left my side. Barry may have stayed out later than me, but he it just got in the ring. He was so natural, so good. We never talked about anything. We just, we had such great chemistry that um, I wish his name was remembered uh, in more high high regard because Barry Wyndham was one of the greatest of all time. Now, great, that one of the greatest. The, well, I'll use that word with Barry Wyndham all day long. Now, with that Wyndham match, how did you guys deal with commercials? Did you did you do anything in the match to, to allow for them, or did you just No, no. Leave, my, my, my theory, Mick Foley's greatest line to me, he said, why do you want to work through the break? I said, because you never know when the camera's on you, man. <laughs> I work right through the break. I don't care what they tell me to do. I can't. I'm not comfortable throwing a guy out on the floor. I wasn't in those days. And then just walking around the ring, you know, which is what they do now sometimes. I actually, I don't know why, and I'm not the producer and I'm not the boss, but I would actually, some guys go to a break while they're trading punches at most, like, I mean, I, I have to go there again. I have to throw her and Sasha in this again. Two great, great performers. But in that tag match, they had Monday night, which was the opener. They tore the joint down. And when Sasha and Ashley put on a clinic, God, I mean, for men and women, they put on a clinic. But when they were trading forearms and chops and whatever they were doing, that's when the people, sometimes you go, my God, sometimes I'd rather have them go to break there to know that I would never come back and not miss that. Does that make sense? Oh, for sure. And I think it's good to go to the break hot. I think that makes people want to. I, I, I do too. I don't, I don't like, we're going to argue that forever. But that clinic, it used to, you saw the match, right? 
Of course. The, the girls all worked their ass off. It was tremendous. They, they stole the show. And by the way, the boys didn't follow it until Roman came out. Sorry, guys. Till Roman, Roman and Brock and Paul, they followed it, but nothing else did on the show. The girls stole it. My hat's off to all of them. Um, uh, Becky and Sasha, a little bit, they were in there together, man. It, it's, it's chemistry. It's good, if not better. I, I, I wouldn't say better because Ashley does a lot of aerial stuff than Steamboat and I. But I mean, I, when I see those two, I go, oh, my God. Did anybody watch that match? It was magic for both of them. Not only did Ashley and, and Sasha do very well, but I think they carried the two relatively green girls. Absolutely. absolutely. And, but the girls, the, you know, they can't be expected to work at the same rate that Ashley and Charlotte have. But they, um, I'm sorry, Ashley and Sasha have. But they carried their end off and they worked hard and they kept up with them. And that's the name of the game. That's how you stay on the team. You don't always have to be the fastest or the, or the most elite player on the team. But you've got to keep in it. And they all did. And my hat's off to all four of them. They were great. Now, you went 55 minutes with Steamboat on the clash in New Orleans in 1989. Not quite an hour. Mm -hmm. And it was best of three falls. And it ended with a disputed finish. How do you remember that match? Uh, I thought it was okay. You know, for Steamer and I, we've been better. The crowd was kind of dead. I mean, anything, anything Steamboat and I ever did was good. That was not great by any means. We certainly had better hour broadways. Um, it was good. It, it served the point. You know, people got fired over that because they didn't, they didn't advertise it, so no one was in the building. It was horrible. They spelled my name wrong. I mean, that was typical of WCW. They put R-I-C-K. I'm looking at this. I look at Steamboat. I said, it's going to be a long hour. <laughs> they can't spell my name right. Buddy Rogers and Patrick Connor are sitting out there and Terry Funk, but they can't spell my name right. <laughs> no. Needless to say, I drank a lot that night at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Thank you. <laughs> now, you mentioned before that, that Danielson and, and Hangman really went uh, at a good clip during their hour yes. draw. The, the pace was tremendous. But there has to be some rest built into a 60-minute match. Uh, how did you approach that? When to kind of cool it down and for how long? But in, in my matches? Yeah. Well, it all depended on who I was working with. I mean, I've, I've had a lot of matches. Listen, like I said, Mark, I've had, a, I feel like a lot of great matches in, in a, during an hour, but I've had some horrible too. And, you know, and I can't totally blame on my opponent, but some people just aren't made to wrestle an hour. And the way that the NWA champion toured and traveled, it was either a, it was either a, an hour or it was the champion one. That was just the way it was. And so many times the, the, the promoter, instead of being smart and figuring out a finish that would, you know, make everybody look good, they just didn't want their guy to get beat. But some guy, there's some guy. I've had guys throw up on me 15 minutes into the match. What do you get? What do you get to do? You got 45 minutes left. I mean, I've seen, I've had guys quit during the hour to say, I can't, I can't do it anymore. Walk back to the dressing room. <laughs> they weren't screaming at me. They were screaming at them because it's hard, you know? And then, you know, with Steve-O and I, we, I don't know. I bet Steve-O and I did two or 390 minute matches. And I'm really? sure Harley and I have. Oh yeah. Not 90 years. minutes. Oh, over 15 years. Oh yeah. Easy. We would wow. go to town. We go wrestling an hour every night. You know, I think it was probably about thirty cities in the Mid Atlantic Territory back then. 
We wrestle an hour and then come back and do a 90 minute time limit. That's steamboat, man. We, uh, yeah, we, and that, but it was easy with him. It was never, and the crowd was so into it. And he was so over and we were sold out, which makes a big difference. It's a lot easier and a lot less painful um, to perform in front of a live crowd that's large as opposed to doing an hour, which I have with Brody in front of 250, well, maybe 500 people. And uh, hate the crack out of town at Wichita. <laughs> well, I, Wichita. I, I, I hate to ask you this, Nate, but what's the worst one-hour draw you've ever done? Where did it just go all bad? Uh, I can tell you where it was. I didn't know what the city was. It was somewhere in Oklahoma. It was Rufus R. Jones or Bob Brown, one or the other. I think it might have been Bob Brown, the Canadian kid. And uh, just couldn't get it going. The crowd didn't buy either one of us. And that was the first night I ever pushed the referee with a guy named Sonny Myers. And I uh, came back, I walked through the door, and Robley was standing there. He was the booker. He goes, boy, that's cheap heat for the world champion to push referee. I said, Buck, you go out there and wrestle Bob for an hour tomorrow night. Let me know how that works for you. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> hence, the ref- hence the referee bump. You know, here's the deal. When Dory was champion, Dory Jr., right, who's still living in, God, one of the great ones, he traveled with Jack together. When Jack was champion, he traveled with Jack. They wrestled each other. And no matter what territory they went to, they, they just took their show on their own, kind of like I referred to with Billy Darnell and Buddy. They took them. So they wrestled each other. And you know, if, if, if they didn't wrestle the top guy in the territory, they wrestled each other. That's why, that's why Jack quit. You know what he did? He called Eddie Graham on his way back from I don't know where and said, have someone in West Palm Beach tonight. I'll drop the title. I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'll quit. And then um, this, as legend says, I can call Jerry right now and ask him. I think after he dropped the title to Terry, that was a double cross because it was supposed to be a Harley, but that's when politics were running hard back then as they, as they do now. Jack drove back home that night. I think he threw his watch off the Gamby Bridge. Because when, you, when you're the world champion in that time frame where you're traveling a lot, I mean, like long trips, Europe, Japan, New Zealand, Australia, back to the States, back to Japan, all you do is live by your watch. You know what? And then you get in the ring and you live in by 60 minutes. And you're waiting for that referee to say five minutes left, four, three, two, one. Because, man, it could be a long, long ass night out there if you're not enjoying yourself. And by enjoying yourself, I mean having a somewhat good match that people can relate to and are enjoying. What companies would you want to work for? Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good. Companies like Bank of America, which just earned the prestigious Just Capital 2024 seal. Bank of America is ranked number one in the banking industry and number one for their ongoing commitment to workers, offering best-in-class benefits, including a minimum wage of $25 an hour by 2025. Visit JustCapital.com to learn how a just business is a better business. Furnished by Just Capital. Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good. Companies like Bank of America, which just earned the Just Capital seal. Bank of America is ranked number one for ongoing commitment to their workers with initiatives like Sharing Success, which awarded 97% of their teammates additional compensation, nearly all in stock. 
This is the program's seventh consecutive year, awarding more than $4.8 billion in total. Visit JustCapital.com to learn how a just business is a better business. Furnished by Just Capital. Well, talking about that match between Danielson and Hangman, I was very impressed with Hangman Page because we knew we knew Danielson could do that match. He's done it before. He's that kind of worker. But that's really one of the first examples of that lengthy quality match we've seen from Adam Page. Yeah, well, I I, I had no idea they were going to do that, but I, as I as I said, I I watched every minute of it and didn't walk away from it. I thought they did a great job. I like it when they can go to a commercial break and still keep some of the match on. I don't know what why they can't do that all the time. That's something somebody can explain to me when we're off the air. But I love it when they can, um, um, you know, keep a, a frame of the match going while they go to a commercial break. I think that's great. Yeah, I do too. I they got to be careful not to do anything climactic. Yeah, exactly. when you're on split screen, but they've done that. So, so yeah. kudos to their production. Now. Uh, Danielson has been in AEW for 12 weeks now, 12 weeks, and he's wrestled 16 matches on TV. Is he their number one star now? I'd have to say he is, yeah. I, mean, I, I, like, I like his work, guys. Don't misunderstand me. I, he's a workhorse. And, uh, you know, he went through a lot. I know that just from knowing a little bit about him personally, he, he went through a lot when he was um, laid off. You know, I think, you know, when, you're, when, the, when, you, when you are it's such a, if when you embrace this business the way he apparently does, much like I do, or other a lot of other people, when he sustained that injury, I think it was a head injury or neck, I can't remember, but I think a concussion, it really affected him not being able to work in the ring. So when he got was able to get back in, um, you know, I, I'm so happy for him because I know it's meant the difference to him uh, in his lifestyle and everything else. Being happy in life and being happy. In, being happy in the business can have a lot to do with being happy in life, if it's, if it's your passion. Now, you mentioned before that when you were NWA Touring World Champion, you know, you either had to get a win or it was a draw. I mean, that just was the way it worked. Now, yes. with the world title on TV all the time now, you know, pay-per-view, you know, TV during the week, it's a regular thing to have a world title match on, on, on TV. Does the world champ need to get wins? Does the title need to be kept maybe stronger than it did when you went from territory to territory? Well, that's hard to say because television is different now. I think I think it's good for the champion to be on TV. I mean, I, I can't see it up. I love seeing Roman when he's there. I love seeing Big E. I think, I think having a champion on is important for programming because the, the, those are the two guys, or the, in this case... Be, it would be like Becky and Charlotte. Uh, you've got your four champions, and they're the people you, the, the fan base. You you know you're building your company around, especially the fan base at this particular time. Uh, at this particular time, and I, I think that you're going to see Charlotte and Becky and Biggie and Roman, or whoever are in those over uh, in those positions of being champions on TV all the time because that's. That's what your fan base wants, and that's what they're, that's what they're paying for. Even though it's free TV, it's not because the advertisers are paying Vince a lot of money. So he's going to put his best people out there, as as will Tony. So apparently, so to answer your question, apparently Tony thinks that uh, Brian is is the number one guy. Now I'm sure I'm, I'm not sure I'm offended. You know? 
but he's, he's, he's damn good. So we're moving on now to our friend and foe segment. We're going to revisit somebody we talked about that you did an hour draw with, and that's Barry Windham. And just to revisit what you said moments ago, you consider Barry to be one of the elite performers of all time, don't you? Yes, most I most certainly do. Yeah, his career he had knee injury and you know a couple of different things, but I mean when, when Barry wanted to, when Barry wanted to, when he was when he was healthy, he was as good as anybody. Especially considering he's six foot six and two hundred and fifty-five or sixty pounds. Now, Barry was the son of Blackjack Mulligan, who you also worked with. What are your yes. earliest memories of Barry? How how old was he when you first met him? And uh, and and uh, was he was born to be a wrestler? It seems. Yeah, but he, my earliest memories of Barry are being scared to death of his dad. <laughs> his dad was one of the toughest bitches alive. I forget about Jack, and we're talking about tough guys, but man, don't leave Jack Mulligan out of the, you know, out of that equation. And he was strict with Barry. You know, Barry had a little bit, little nature in him, I guess Jack would say. But uh, we, Mulligan and I lived next door to each other, the same neighborhood. So wow, I, I watched, I watched Bill Barry, I watched Barry grow up, and as Stephanie and uh, their two kids, and know Julie, Julie real well, and. Uh, there was a lot. Actually, we, we, there was a neighbor who had a house between us. And, but we'd walk across the guy's yard to be with each other. But I'll tell you a great story about Barry. So Jack and I were out of town wrestling. I think we were in Lynchburg. I can remember driving back. And Jack and I had bought a uh, an RV. And uh, my ex-wife, uh, Leslie, and Julie were taking the kids to the beach. For the weekend, and uh, that's another story. <laughs> I'll tell another time. So we got home, and the RV was gone. Barry had taken it out with his, with his friends. <laughs> Mulligan said, "I won't use the language." Mulligan said, "Where's that? Where's that RV?" I, said, I have no idea. I said, "I'll be home if you need me, man." <laughs> I sat out on the porch with a drinking beer, watching Barry pull up. <laughs> Jack hit that damn door in the side of the RV so hard it caved in the door. <laughs> All I could hear was Barry hollering, Dad, no! <laughs> no, no. Don't, don't mess around with Black Jack Mulligan. Now, Barry didn't work anything like his dad, did he? No, no, totally different. Totally different. Jack was 6'9", 320 pounds. People, people forget how big Jack was. He was a big man. Was Barry a better heel or babyface? Well, he was a great babyface for me, but he was a damn good heel, too. I like him better as a babyface, yes. Now, I remember when Barry joined the Four Horsemen. That was like mm -hmm. a total babyface move for you guys. You guys always got cheered to some degree, but I think yeah. the cheers got louder and became more plentiful then. Now, you kept working as a heel, and Barry, like you said, was a great he, heel. He, he's the second most handsome guy in that picture. No wonder the girls liked him. What after JJ Porter Wagner? <laughs> no, oh, the guy, the guy in the green robe. Oh, okay, well, but, <laughs> but, Barry. what 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 woman wouldn't love Barry Wyndham? And a lot did. <laughs> well, uh, what did Barry do for the Horsemen? How did that change the dynamic? Oh God, he was just phenomenal. I mean, just a great worker. I mean, Barry could do anything. When you got guys like that, I mean, Arn was the enforcer, and Arn had a great interview and. Tully was the technician and a real good interview. Barry was this guy that could do the 
drop kicking on top of your head at six foot six. You know, I could do anything. Barry could go over the pop rope backwards, upside down. I mean, and JJ, of course, was the constant manager. And I don't know what I was. I was just lucky to be there, but I had fun. Uh, I think they were somewhat lucky to have you there, but uh, I no, appreciate your no, modesty. No, no, I'm not being modest, but I mean, they, they, they were, they would have made it without me. So they were, they were all very good at what they did. Now, how come Barry was never NWA world champion, except at the end when it really didn't matter that much? Because he certainly fit the mold of what they were looking for. I don't know. Be honest with you. You know, to me, and this is nothing against Lex Luger. This all come out like I'm knocking Luger. But I would have put the title on Barry. But they had this, this dream for Lex. So um, I just think that, that, that when you're in that role of being the world champion, you, it, it, and, and Lex we've talked about before, he never had the opportunity, very similar to Bill Goldberg, never had the opportunity to learn. He just was put on top, which makes it no fault of theirs. You can't just learn the business and learn how to work with everybody in all these different styles without a, a, a solid background and a lot of in-ring time behind you. And uh, Lex didn't have that, and Barry could work with anybody, I guarantee you. I mean, I could, I could have seen Barry wrestling Steamboat. I mean, could Barry could work either way. You know what I mean? Where, where Ricky couldn't. Now, how come Barry never really got used right in WWE? He was a no blackjack. He was the Widowmaker. He was a tag team guy. And boy, it just seemed like he never got his due there. And, and that's kind of weird because his talent was so obvious. You know, I don't know what the answer to that is. I, I just don't think Barry was that. I think Barry was just kind of um, such a nice guy. I mean, really, one of the really nice guys in the business. I just don't think he was had that, that he asserted himself that much in the going to be. He just wanted to get along and be happy, you know. Similar to me, but you know, if you're, when you're put in that position, sometimes you just gotta stand up for yourself. And uh, I don't know, I don't know why it was news of that. I, I saw Barry, we run into each other on the road as the company's crossed paths, but I don't know why it didn't work out for us there. I thought Barry was an underrated promo, Nate. I thought he was very earnest and believable. Yeah, just like Steamboat, very calm, cool, not no hollering, just but very good. Yeah. Barry did not have a weakness. Now, what when made Barry... When, when healthy. What made Barry a good opponent for you? Why did you two click like you did? Chemistry. You know, you run into a few guys like that in your day of your career. You know, I've been... I've probably met 10 guys like that out of all the people I wrestled that I had that kind of chemistry with. Um, and you know what the first time you tie up? And you know they've got Barry's skills were just so fantastic, and Barry could do anything. And you know we would call, I wrestled I wrestled Barry, Jesus, a lot of our Broadways uh, when he was in the Florida territory, but we did them all the time. So, as a matter of fact, the one you saw on TV, we did from the uh, the very building that the, the WWE, WWE was broadcasting from before they went back in on the road, the, uh, the old Sundome. That's where Barry and I did that live hour. Now, why do the offspring of wrestlers so often go into the profession? Because they've seen the bad as well as the good, but they all get lured into it. I think that they just, they grow up watching it. And uh, 
of course, you know, I, I'm sure that Jack was Barry's hero, uh, as was his brother. Um, uh, Kendall. Yeah, Kendall. Kendall, uh, I'm sure his dad was his hero as well. Kendall wrestled for a while. Um, Barry, you know, went to, to Heights probably. He'll be always thought of, I think, as probably a better performer than his dad. But his dad had, had that outstanding look and a great interview. His dad had a world-class interview. Some people were remembered for that. But it, as far as in-ring in -ring work, um, you know, Barry's, Barry's right up there with the top guys. Guaranteed. Great. G-R-E-A-T. I mean, I, I, do you see Barry with Barry some rolling reins right now? My God, give me a break. Same time frame. What a challenger. That, 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 that would be a box office match. Now, we're going to move on to talk about our foe for the week. Also a, a friend, and, and certainly a friend of mine as well, and that's uh, Ted DiBiase. How come Ted never got the NWA world title? I know that was mooted at, at one point, and he came closer than Barry. I don't know. I told you last time we talked about it, it was a vote. <laughs> but I, I feel confident that if, if Ted had become the world champion, he would have been great. I wrestled DiBiase a lot of our Broadways too, but DiBiase is another guy that I don't think gets his due as a professional wrestler because when, when they got to the WWE, um, the guys that were really good, polished, hardworking guys that could do anything didn't have to do it because the company didn't ask them to go out and go 20, 30 minutes. Does that make sense? Yeah. It, it, was, it was a different time, a different time and they weren't, you know, they were more involved in the gimmick and selling merchandise than Ted proving to the world that he was the best wrestler. Because I'm, I'm sure for a period of time up there, there was no, nobody anywhere near as good as Ted as an in-ring performer. Well, that, that segment... But, but he'll be remembered as a million-dollar man. Well, that brings me to my next point. When he went up there, he was one of the best wrestlers in the world. He had headlined around the country, but they totally changed his character, made him a gimmick performer. And I'm not criticizing because it, it worked. I mean, incredibly worked, but but why would they do that? Why would they feel the need to take a proven commodity and, and totally overhaul it? Merchandise. Yeah, but but they didn't sell merch for heels then, and Ted was a heel. Oh, I, I'm sure the Million Dollar Man things were sold. I, I think that was really popular. I, I don't know for a fact, but I mean, okay. how, how, how can you possibly have Becky Lynch beat at beat Charlotte merchandise. Well, when you they don't, the, they don't own you. When, Ridiculous. When, that that's what I hear now. When when you went to WWE, oh, hey, when they own it, I'll let you know. I know, I know, <laughs> I know you will. Now, when when you went to WWE as Nature Boy Ric Flair, mm -hmm. did they consider changing you because you no. came in pretty much as is? Well, talk about those discussions because that might have surprised you to some degree. I'm thinking. No, it didn't at all. Um, I flew up there, and Vince, what I like, what you like about Vince is he tells you, I die, doesn't look at the floor, doesn't look at the ceiling, doesn't look, call somebody, talking to you one-on-one. -on -one. And he goes to me, I can't guarantee any money, but I'll make you more than you made last year. So how much you make? And I told him. And, and he said, I'll make you more. I said, okay. So... <laughs> But you know when you talk, when you make a deal with a man, you can't you can't go south on him because he, he's looking at you. And he said to me, 
Look, everybody knows the story of Ric Flair. And if I have to hear that Ric Flair story, I'm not going to sit down to lunch with you guys ever again. He said, I don't want you to come up here and try to prove anything to anybody. You just be a regular guy. I'm going to put Earl Hebner with you. And I want you to make sure that <laughs> he gave poor Earl Hebner the task of taking care of <laughs> Like Timmy White had to drive the giant around. Earl Hebner had to drive me around. <laughs> Isn't that a rib? You've been... <laughs> <laughs> no, I've, I've been on that duty in shorter spurts, yeah. It's, it's certainly not for the faint of heart, is it? Uh, oh, my God. <laughs> Earl Hebner lives in Richmond, right? So so did Dave. <laughs> I took them both to a massage parlor when I did in Richmond after the matches. <laughs> they got home at 4 in the morning and said, we're and they said. Rick Flair had us drive up, driving back down to Greensboro. <laughs> Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Title transference aired October 27, 2004. Director James Marshall, writers Todd Slavkin, Darren Swimmer. I really like this episode, and I'm surprised that you don't like it as much as you thought you did. I actually respect your opinion more than I respect my own in general. <laughs> it, <laughs> When you say things are good and I check them out, they are. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen. Hi there. Sorry for the interruption, but are you enjoying this show on Google Podcasts? You should know that the Google Podcasts app is going away this spring. That's right, going away, gone, as in no longer available. You can still enjoy this show elsewhere, though. Try out Spotify or Amazon Music, or maybe TuneIn is more your style. Whatever app you switch to, be sure to follow so you never miss the next episode. And thanks for listening, wherever you listen. Now, uh, what kind of wrestler was Ted before he became the Million Dollar Man? Because he was a real work-rate kind of guy, wasn't he? A- among the very best. Oh, Ted, yes, absolutely. God, he was tutored by Dick Murdoch. I mean, he, he, was, he wrestled all those guys. I mean, uh, I, only, I never met Ted's dad, but I mean, his father was a wrestler. And, he, you know, he was raised by the Funks. He was a big card in St. Louis wrestling the top guys. I mean, that's a great picture of Ted right there. He, he, he could go. And uh, I'll always think of Ted as being a, uh, you know, one of the top guys in the business. Now, Ted did a different kind of promo prior to being the Million Dollar Man, too. He was, he was very earnest. I'm not, I'm not criticizing because Ted did great promos as the Million Dollar Man, but it just it indicates, again, how they totally changed his character. Yeah. Well, they're all about merchandise. And they were just, he was formulating, Vince was putting together something he thought would capture the, capture America and not just the wrestling fans. Does that make sense? Yeah, because America doesn't like somebody who's richer than them. And and Ted certainly played that to the Hilton. And I think maybe this is underestimated. Maybe I'm overestimating, but I thought that laugh was a big part of it. Ted's laugh was just incredible. Yeah, the whole thing was great. It's like when I first got there, Pat Patterson said, you should have been a million-dollar man. I said, I know. (laughs) That was my gimmick. Well, Ted actually stopped wrestling at 40 because of neck and back injuries. 
And he never really tried to come back, did he? Almost everybody tries to come back, even if they are hurt. Look at Shawn Michaels, but Ted never did. He, he couldn't because of Lloyd's of London. When you claim Lloyd's of London, you got to pay him back if you come back to work. Well, a lot of, I think guys double-crossed that before, didn't they? You, have, you had to pay him back something, but not all. Um, I know Henning had, had to pay it back. I can't think of anybody else that had to claim, that collected Lloyd's of London. Bossman didn't come back. I mean, I'm trying to think, guys. Geez, there were so many guys that claimed it. I, uh, Rick Rude wasn't able to come back. Um, there were a number of guys that wanted to come back, but after you claim it, you got to repay it, especially if you collect it on a, on a tax-free. The way it was set up, if you if you wrote off the premiums, you got the you got the payment tax-free. If you didn't write off the premiums, you had to pay taxes on it. So, dumbass me. I paid all the premiums for five years, didn't and and didn't write them off, um, and then of course they went bankrupt and I didn't get a dime. And, but I, I got my health. So when I was going to go collect it, my head I had that inner ear problem, and that was the day I was going to go get my check for seven hundred and fifty, and then I had two more come in five hundred apiece, tax free. I woke up, bingo. I, when I was fine, I hit my head against the wall about four times. And I called my dad. I was in Louisville, Kentucky. I said, Dad, my head, uh, uh, my, my, uh, the, the dizziness is gone because I had that inner ear uh, problem. He said, Well, I, I, I guess that, I know that, I'm glad to hear that. He said, I'm still, I'm going to get your money, Dad, for all this time off. He said, No, you're not. He said, You're not going to get that <laughs> money and you'll be, thank God you got your health. It's karma. So, I never got it, but I got my health. And I'm here with you today. Now, to is, 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 is the Million Dollar Man the best gimmick performer ever? It's got to be right up there with The Undertaker, right? Well, you got to put, put Mark in a class of his own. So Me I, too, but, it, yeah. but it's close. Yeah. Well, it's, it, I'm not, I'm, once again, I'm not taking away from 10, but The Undertaker, 20 years, man. I mean, come on. Think about it. You gotta, you, I, I, I just don't think you can compare anybody to Undertaker. Ted was a manager after he stopped wrestling, Nate, and he came to WCW. No, you, I, you, you understand what I'm saying? It's just, I think Taker to sit there. Oh, no, absolutely. Yeah. Long, I mean, it went, what, the 22 years? I mean, it's crazy. On top, 22 years on top. Uh, Ted came to WCW and became the leader of the NWO, but very briefly. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I thought he should have been the leader period, for the length of the NWO because it made perfect sense. If it's the invading army from WWE, then have the rich guy from WWE at the head of it. Yeah, but I, that wasn't going to happen. The NWO was not run by Ted. <laughs> well, no, I, I know that, but I'm talking about in, in terms of the gimmick itself being true to what the original intent of the NWO was. Well, the original intent of the NWO, in my estimation, I've said before, should have stayed Scott, Kevin, Waltman, and... Uh, Kevin Scott, Kevin Waltman, yeah, the three of them. Hogan, Hogan, obviously. And, and Hulk, and, sorry, and, and Hulk, of course. I would have never expanded on it. Um, you know, but there again, I, I, I had nothing to say about it. I just think that, I, I believe they, if they had kept it the way it was, the WCW might still be in business. So many things went wrong, they're putting too many people in, and, you know, once, as proof that the, the Four Horsemen beat a perfect example, once you start to dilute a unit that is held in such high esteem as was the NWO, 
Once you start to dilute that faction by adding people that nobody knows, it's kind of like, you know, I, I watch some of the shows and, I, and I'm paying strict attention now so that I can commentate on and talk to you intelligently about the shows. I don't know who some of the people are. And, um, and I'm, I'm, if I don't know them, I look up who they are and all that in their background. But um, I'm sure that the wrestling fans, it was confusing why every week there was two more people coming out the door. From NWO black uh, or black and white, NWO red. I did, I was there, didn't I? <laughs> oh, yeah, me too. Now, Ted uh, did a lot of his best work in the Mid-South promotion for Bill Watts. Yes. UWF. Yeah, one of the best, one of the greatest angles ever shot was he and DiBiase and I. DiBiase and I, when Murdoch hit the ring, we put Ted in the hospital. Yeah, double turn. It was a double yeah. turn. They turned yeah. Murdoch heel and Ted Babyface. Yeah, yeah. I'm real. How great was the Mid-South Territory, the UWF? Because no, it, was uh, great. it was great. What but made Bill, it great? Bill was another guy that like when, it, when he brought me as a champion. Oh God, he had some really good, some great talent there. I mean, the Freebirds, the Midnight Express, Rock and Roll Express. You know, all those guys. I just recruited them when I met them. I, I called Crocker and said, "Guys, these guys got to come." You know, I, I think Bill was getting ready to sell anyway. But I mean, so much talent there. Jimmy Cornette, those guys. I mean. With Cornette and Midnight Express and Rock and Roll, they had a ride every night down there in that in Mid-South. Then you had JYD working with DiBiase. Then they had Butch Reed, who was great. Terry Taylor was great. I mean, uh, Steve Williams. I mean, they were just deep in town. And uh, Jake was there. Jake was great. Um, they were just had so much talent. So I went in there. But when I went in there, I wrestled an hour. Or almost an hour every night with those guys, and that was that was Bill's finish with me. I never wrestled JYD down there, but I wrestled DiBiase for a couple hours, Terry Taylor, um, um, Hacksaw. Got to wrestle Hacksaw three one-hour draws. It's <laughs> a long night. Now, uh, the Mid South was one of the last territories, Rick. I think. Were the people still sus- suspended disbelief? I I thought that that got it a little more hot because Bill really adhered to kayfabe, didn't he? Yes. Insisted on it. But uh, we did two at Crockett. The, the kayfabe thing was pretty strictly enforced everywhere where a guy like Eddie Graham or Fritz von Erich or Sam Mushnick or Harley and all that. I don't know. It went one day from being kayfabe to the next day just out of control. But it's safer for the guys now and you wouldn't wish for anybody to be in some of the stuff. I've been in a blackjack mulligan. <clears throat> I've been in the, when they've had riots. Billy Lee got stabbed one night. Uh, Jack put me in the back break room. Billy Lee, the mass superstar, hit the ring. We had 40 people in the ring. Billy Lee got stabbed. I told you about Ole being stabbed. I've seen guys, you know, they used to shoot whammo slingshots at us with pennies in them, you know, from 30, 30 rows up. So, I mean, I've seen some stuff that, uh, that it would not be acceptable. And the guys, I certainly wouldn't want my daughter to go through or anybody to go through now. The fans used to be crazy, especially in the South. In Asheville, Carolina, the guy ran down to the ring of the gunny sack and threw a probably a six to eight foot long rattlesnake in the ring. Huh. Yeah, you can middle the whole, I mean, the whole ringside cleared. It never hurt anybody, but that's how crazy the fans were. The gunny sack going into the ring, we saw him coming, right? I thought, what the hell's got to get into the ring? <laughs> Damn rattlesnake in the ring. 
Now, Nate, I want to talk uh, just a quick note about uh, the Ultimate Warrior because I saw you said in an interview a while back that you had your worst matches with the Ultimate Warrior. What made the matches bad, and uh, and uh, how often did you guys wrestle? We wrestled twice, maybe three times. Well, I, we just didn't have any chemistry, and I couldn't. Um, I mean, it's it's a a great story. We're in Winnipeg, Canada. And I wrestled the Warrior, we come back, and Pat Patterson said, God, I have to tell you that it's the worst championship match I've ever seen. I said, Pat, you don't have to tell me I was in it. Because <laughs> he sent me over a three-page letter to memorize. I don't do that. I, I had to with Randy because it was basically pushed on me. Um, but Randy and uh, uh, DDP and few other guys, you know, like to write it all down, which is fine, but you have to hope that the crowd is going to feel about the match the way that you've written it down. Because if you have this memorized skit, which is what it is, it becomes a skit when you memorize it, and then you go out and you execute, and the fans aren't buying what you're doing, then what do you do? If you don't have the experience to start it back up, what do you do? You lose. And the match stinks. So, with me and the Ultimate Warrior, the match stunk. I don't blame him. I don't blame him. I don't blame myself. It just didn't work. Well, Warrior was really a phenomenon, wasn't he? he? He really couldn't work. And maybe that's why he didn't last long. But for a short term, he was super over, wasn't he? Oh, yeah. I wasn't there then. But, yes. Yes, he was. No doubt about it. They still talk about that match between him and uh, Hulk in uh, Toronto. I didn't see it, but I, I heard it was phenomenal. It was. That was that was like the blind squirrel finding the acorn because I never yeah. thought that match would be as good as it was. Yeah, and, and talking about Jim or, or Warrior, um, there's another guy I don't think I had the opportunity to learn his skills um, before he was thrown into the, into the fire. So that happens to a lot of guys that have a real good physique and a promoter will see him and say, wow, this guy's going to be the, the greatest. You know what I mean? So I've seen that come and go already now in AEW a couple times uh, as in WWE um, some guys will come in and look really good and then two weeks they're gone with no explanation so uh, it requires more than just looks and requires you know a tough mental attitude or, or requires more than just a physique it requires a mental attitude a lot of heart and a lot of determination to be the best at your craft be successful in wrestling today. It's still very competitive. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Don't put Christmas on a credit card. SaveWithConrad.com can get you the cash you need for the holidays and the best rate you've ever had. And how's this for starters? No payments for two months. You can pocket all of that cash just in time for the holidays. And if you're in a 30-year loan, have a second mortgage or pay PMI, it's not a matter of if we can save you money, but how much. We routinely help families save five, six, seven, even 800 bucks a month. And you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket at savewithconrad.com okay let's talk about uh, some of today's wrestlers another weekly segment and i know you're gonna like talking about this guy nage mjf maxwell jacob friedman my man very inspired by roddy piper and i see a lot of roddy he's got the big ring man just like the nature boy now he's got to buy one of these well i see a lot of roddy piper in max how about you Roddy Piper? No, not really. I don't see that. I, I, Roddy was like 
you know, Ronnie would just go boom, 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 real quick. I just spoke to his daughter last night, by the way. So um, I'm catching up with them. But um, I don't see much Roddy in him. I see more me than Roddy. I mean, I, I don't, don't talk, I mean, I'm, I'm not taking away Roddy. I just asked me who I see more of him. I, I like, Roddy didn't brag, you know, Roddy didn't brag about his clothes and stuff like that. This kid is, you know, which makes him different. He's talking about the material things or it implies that he has the material things that other people don't have. And that really pisses people off, especially when it's the truth. Well, what I like about Max is he almost never breaks character. Not not in the ring, not on the mic, not away from wrestling, not anytime. Yeah. I like that, but today, with the camera everywhere, you got to be careful, too. Oh, absolutely. Especially if he wants to be a little nature boy. <laughs> well, no, you know what I mean. I mean, nature. How much trouble would you have got if there was social media and camera phones back then? Why do you people keep bringing that up? What makes you think I did something wrong in the old days? Just a hunch. A lot Just of eyewitnesses. I was there, too. Have you ever been out with me? <laughs> yes, I have. Yes, yes, indeed, I have. Well, no, I think Woo! Max... Merry Christmas. I think Max is great. I, he's a heel who isn't trying to be cheered. He just no, wants to be a heel. You he always cheats, always powders. If, if I saw that kid sign an autograph out in the parking lot of the building, I'd never talk to him again. I he, don't think you have to worry about that. No, no, man. If he's, I, he, it's, he's so damn good at what he's doing, and it really catches my attention. But, you know, I've seen so many guys in the business go, go out and be a heel on TV. They're out in the parking lot signing autographs. Instead of running to the bar 100 miles an hour, they're walking around to make sure that nobody tweets about what an asshole they are. By signing all their autographs, you dumbass. What heel signs an autograph? You know what I, I used to walk to the airport with Hunter, and <laughs> people would say, we have going to say, bad guys don't sign. <laughs> Standard answer. Bad boys don't sign. How, how do you rate uh, MJF's work? Because I think he's very physical and very convincing. Yeah, I think it's very good. He works like a heel, and uh, you know, he, he, he when he gets on top of the guy, which is the important thing, he stays on him. He knows when to back up. He knows when to air the crowd. Um, by air, I mean give, give it a chance to breathe before he attacks again. That's a key thing too that a lot of guys understand. You got to give the people when you got a guy down, and you and you have him down. You got it. The referee is going to break it. One, two, break. Back up. Just don't turn your back on the guy. Back up five feet. Give the audience a chance to breathe and get your breath yourself rather than go in there and, and blow yourself up trying to beat the guy up. One good punch, two good punches, three look 10 times better than 20 of these. But I've been saying that for how many years for these kids? 20 shit punches can kill one good one. Does that make sense? Oh, for sure. No, here's an example. I'll tell the young kids. If there's eight people in the ring, and there's eight people doing something, right? You don't know where the camera is. You have to pretend the camera's on you. Because while well, one guy's over here nailing a way that looks like a million dollars, there's some other kid over here throwing punches that couldn't break a, couldn't break an egg. Does that make sense? They have to all learn to work especially when there's multiple people in the ring, like the camera is directly on them. And then they start to put together the ingredients where they become a great performer. 
Uh, Nate, don't get me started. I think there's so many top guys in the business now, top guys on top of the card that can't throw a punch worth a lick. Okay. Drives me crazy. Right. Just yeah. drives me yeah. absolutely crazy. But getting back to MJF. If you don't have the fundamentals, and I mean, seriously, the fundamentals, which are punching, kicking, eyes, attitude, and appearance, I mean, something that attracts you're never going to get that, that G for great in front of your name. Uh, MJF's 25. Where's his career go from here? He signed in uh, AEW through 2024. Yes, I think it goes anywhere he wants it to go. I hope he has a good business manager, a good agent. Not some dumb son of a bitch like I've had in the past. Someone knows what they're doing and is honest. So you yeah. see him as a very, very top guy. Yes. I yes. do too. Yeah. Now, uh, you either, like either company. Well, would WWE dilute his character? What would they do with him when he got no, out? No, I said as he is. Delivered right. as he is. Excuse me. Right. Yeah. That's why, one reason why I would be hesitant to go to AEW, excuse me, Freudian slip, why I would be hesitant to leave AEW to go to WWE, I think you have a bigger hand in the creative process in AEW. And I think for a guy who knows what he's doing, like Max obviously does, that's invaluable. Oh, exactly. I wasn't, you just asked me a question. I said, right. he's good enough to be good in either company. Right. That's all I meant. And I, I were him, I, I'm not suggesting he go anywhere. I, I would stay with Tony as long as I could, as Tony was paying me. And I'm sure Tony sees a lot in him or he wouldn't be in a position he's in. <clears throat> and he, and he, the thing about him, he's just going to get better. And hopefully, hopefully he stays injury free. Now, you like the way MJF dresses. You've talked about that on this program in the past. And uh, I do, too, with the, you know, with the nice clothes, the scarf, the tie. Mm -hmm. Why is that so unimportant in general in today's wrestling? He's kind of the exception to the rule. Well, I don't know. I, I, I you know, I'm always going to get, I'm always going to tell you that, you know, if I think I influence some people, I, I know I have. Um. But I, I, I like the, the look that Bobby Lashley does now with MVP and the guys. It's because not everybody can wear jeans and tennis shoes. I mean, it works great for Roman Reigns because Roman Reigns is the handsomest son of a bitch alive. And Roman can wear whatever, but when Roman puts on a suit and tie, he's even a handsomest son of a bitch. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, I, no. I've, I've, I've seen it both ways. For Roman to be casual, have his birch shirt on, walk out, in, in probably $2,000 jeans and, uh, you know, $500 pair of tennis shoes, that works for Roman. He can pull it off. Um, I preferably, I like, I like Charlotte because she, Charlotte spends a fortune. But for her, it's work. She dresses immaculately. It's her gimmick. And you've got to live your gimmick either way. But with him, not everybody can wear jeans and tennis shoes. You want to make yourself look different somehow. I mean, I, and that's, we have so many people that are dressed the same, um, and, and except for the ring attire, that they all look the same if they don't have, and, and they're trying to get themselves looked at and, and get themselves a spot with a promoter. I would, I would emphasize either dressing, uh, or doing something a little different with your wardrobe. It's, it's just as essential as it is learn how to work in the ring. 
I want to talk about Natalia Neidhart. Uh, your daughter had a great match in NXT yeah. with Natalia. I think she's been chronically underrated. I think she's an absolute all-time best women's wrestler. And I was glad to see Natty get a little recognition for being the woman with the most matches in WWE pay-per-view history. No, I think it's fantastic. I have a lot of respect for Natty. She knows it. Um, passing the torch that night um, to Charlotte NXT. I was there with Brett. It was a huge night for Ashley. I'm sure Ashley will remember that and cherish that memory forever. It's the first time you get the title, no matter what title it is, in that case, it was NXT. It was a huge night, and it, you know, it helped kick Ashley's career off. Without Natty that night, um, you know, who knows where you fall. But it fell for her, and I, I absolutely was amazed because I had seen him training and all that, but I was absolutely at ringside. I was amazed at what a match they had. It was really, really good. And, uh, you know, I, I, I kept thinking to myself, you know, is Ashley going to blow up? Is she going to get tired? I mean, is she, gonna, is she so nervous? And I, could, I didn't have the words, you know, nobody, nobody wants your dad telling her what to do, especially her. I never, I never tell her what to do, by the way. I don't even suggest anymore. <laughs> I just pay attention. So, um, but they, they had a match, and Maddie, you know, did the favor and, you know, launched Ashley's career. I mean, I hold a lot of respect for Natty. And as I did her dad, and I like, I've gotten to know her mom well. I mean, I've known the family forever, so. That's off to Natty and I heard, and she is a great worker. She's in the great category. Yes. What What do you like about her work? Because I think she presents. Safe. She's solid. She's solid. She She has a technical uh, background that's really, really. I mean, I, the thing about Natty, Natty can wrestle the kind of style that's up and down with anybody, and she can wrestle uh, like Oscar, hold for a hold technically. Uh, you know, she's got experience. She looks apart. She always dresses nicely, and she's got, um, she just, you know, she's a professional. And I mean, uh, the, that's the best comment I can pair. She's a real pro. Now, they put Natty with Ronda Rousey during Rousey's mm -hmm. run in WWE. How mm -hmm. much did that help Ronda to have that steadying influence? You know, I don't know, because Ronda's pretty full of herself, man. I, I really enjoy Ronda, and uh, you didn't, you, I think uh, Steve took us out last time, but I have. Uh, I really enjoyed talking to Ron in my time with her. And I, I, I think I told you guys the story and Steve clipped it, but I said, you think I can shoot a low single engine and take you down? She said, I'd kill you. <laughs> so I don't think Ron needed anybody to back her up. I think she enjoyed and probably learned with, from Natty. But Rhonda is a natural athlete. I mean, she's at the same level of natural athlete that, that Ashley is. Rhonda does stuff that or did stuff that was just, um, she's like Kurt Angle. I mean, bingo, just caught on. That makes sense? Not the moonsaults and all that stuff that Kurt did, but technically, and I mean, and I mean, it's not to say she wasn't working with great workers, which helped the situation too, because she was always in a ring with pros. As a matter of fact, I think, I think one of the main reasons that Ashley uh, was able to be in that match, and I'm so happy for her, I don't think, I think that they, uh, they needed uh, the great, I think they needed the best worker in the business to be in that match to make sure it was the main event. And by the best worker in the business, I mean Charlotte. Now we got some tweets to go over, but first I want to talk about a, a news item 
that occurred this past week. A lot of people have left WWE and gone to AEW. There's probably some more coming up, but Kevin Owens decided to stay in WWE. Uh, he got a deal now. He can be fired. It's the same old 90-day thing with everybody else in WWE, but he's getting 2 or $3 million a year. Uh, I think he made the right move. I think AEW has 15 pounds of sugar for a 10-pound bag. I think oh, he'll be... I absolutely do, too. I, I think the world of Kevin Owens. A, a more respectful, nice guy I've ever met. And he's got unlimited talent. He's got a hell of an interview. And... Uh, he just, uh, I, 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 I'm in, first of all, the word respect. And I mean, I, you know, I told you the story before, before he ever used the, uh, the stunner he called Stephen Aspen. And I, that's respect. When I was doing a segment with him on a Thanksgiving, uh, Starcade show, it was a Kevin Owen KO show. And he said, what do you want to talk about? And I said, Hey, you're the boss. He said, wait, you're Ric Flair. And I said, well, that doesn't mean anything right now. We'll talk about whatever you want to talk about. He's a very respectful kid with a ton of talent. And he takes these huge bumps and all that. I'm, I'm happy for him. And I wish him nothing but success. He's a great guy. Well, I think at 37 years old and with 10 years behind him in WWE, and like I said, I think anybody going into AEW at this point is going to wonder if they're going to get on TV. And that's no knock on Tony. It's more of a, a factual statement about how little TV time they have because all that YouTube stuff doesn't count. Those are squash matches for people to watch who have nothing better to do. But Yeah, no, Kevin wants to be at work. I mean, there's some guys getting paid that don't care if they're at work or not. Kevin wants to be at work. He wants to be on top. And he wants to be thought of in that light. Um, and he, he's very close to it. If, if he's not, if he's not uh, you know, give, give me another year of watching him. But he, he can be anything he wants to be. Do you but, think most, but most of all, he's a very respectful young man. Do you think wrestlers still see WWE as the big show? Do you think wrestlers still feel you have to be there to have truly made it? Mm. Well, it is still the big show. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, the, uh, the, the I TV mean, deals it, it, dictate, it, it, the, no, the ratings it, dictate. Well, no, here's the difference. It's like I was an NWA champion, right? And, I, and if you couldn't have told me differently. But really, the big show was WWE. So anything I'm saying, the kids at AEW can't turn around on me because I'm using myself as an example. You could have never told me as NWA champion the big show was WWE. But what was the big show? Oh, WWE. Yeah, absolutely. So, but I never wanted to go there because I was the champion. And I was at that prestigious position of being, you know, like with a Harley racer and uh and a, and a uh, Terry and Dory Funk and Jack Briscoe and Gene Kaniski and Buddy Ryan, the list goes on. And um, so um, I didn't look at it. If I had not been the champion, I may have gone there early too. So, um, you know, I enjoyed my, I was really very loyal to Crockett. I certainly could have gone a couple of times as I, we've talked about, but um I was loyal to Crockett. I was a world champion. What more can you ask for? And I think the biggest mistake in the history of the business, since you brought it up, is I don't know what happened in negotiations, but why in the hell would you ever change the NWA to WCW? What in the hell? I know there's some politics behind that statement. I'm not sure what all they were, but I'm, I'm, at a, I'm dead sure with all of Ted Turner's money, 
he could have made it right, and they still could be at NWA. There is now, but they're, they're put in that third bracket now. And they they have some really good performers at NWA, by the way. I was at the 73rd thing a couple months ago. It was great. Oh, Nick Aldis is tremendous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm a big fan of his. No, I let, let me just close off this part of the conversation with the, with a quote from a guy we worked with. I'm not going to name him, but when WCW was in the middle of its 83 weeks, quit flexing, please. Uh, you're, you're you're detracting from my intellect. Uh, when WCW was in the middle of its 83 weeks of beating WWE, somebody who had come over and was a big part of that said to me, "This doesn't matter. WWE is still the real show. That's the perception, and it always will be." Yeah, I believe I, it is. It is. It is. It's going to be forever. I wish they had nicknamed me. <laughs> I used to be on the opening, but now that I'm been erased, I think you. I think you will be again, Nate. Let's take a time out here. And while we normally have a lot of fun on this show, this is a pretty serious topic: life insurance, specifically Goliath life insurance. Let me give you a pro tip: we're all going to die. So before you get a visit from the undertaker, think just for a second about what would happen if your family stopped having your income tomorrow with life insurance from goliathlife.com. What we're really talking about is protecting what you've worked so hard to provide for both you and more importantly, your family. You see, life insurance isn't about you. It's about those who matter the most to you. Sure. You do a great job taking care of them now, but who would do that if something awful happened to you? I just lost two friends in the last year and a half, one 42 with two kids, the other 46 who left behind a wife and three kids. Thank God they had insurance. And Hey, I hear you. Nobody wants to think or talk about life insurance, but think about this. You might not get in a car accident, but you have auto insurance. You might not get sick, but you have health insurance. So we'll protect our car and we'll even protect ourselves from like crazy medical bills. But will we protect our family? That's what life insurance means to me. Peace of mind. Goliathlife.com streamlines the life insurance purchase process by allowing you to get quotes from more than 20 carriers all at the same time and at the same place. Goliathlife.com. You'll do a fast and easy application and have multiple quotes within minutes. And oh, by the way, Goliathlife.com has solutions for every budget. And maybe best of all, you pick your terms and payments at Goliathlife.com. Once you pick your price, you can start the online application immediately and check this out. You can even schedule the medical exam to happen in your home. You don't even have to leave the house to do this. And yes, I have done this. They sent someone to my office. It was fast. It was easy. And it was unlike anything I expected. I got to skip the phone calls, the paperwork and the crazy invasive conversations, and even the multiple visits to the doctor's office that we all hate so much. Goliathlife.com makes buying life insurance simple. Goliathlife.com promises no hidden fees, no upsell, no hassle, hell, not even a phone call. Goliathlife.com is life insurance in your hands on your time. Get multiple quick quotes right now from the comfort of your own home and begin your application in a few easy clicks right now at Goliathlife.com. Let's talk about, we got some tweets here from some of the, uh, some of the listeners that we always like to address Rob tweets. Who has been Rick's biggest influence in the wrestling business? And that's actually a good question because you have influenced so many, but who did you look up to and want to emulate when you first started out? Well, it was Dusty when I first started. Um, 
I would say the two guys that had the most influence on me were Dusty Rhodes and Harley Race. And how so? Expand on that. Well, you talk about influence on, on, on my career, people that I, there were three people that I admire and to this day still think the world of. I mean, that I was close to all three of them, different time frames, but two of them are going to be the great, are in that conversation of being the greatest. Uh, and one of them is the most charismatic ever. It was Dusty, Ray Stevens, and Harley Ritz. Well, that's a, that's a pretty good hat trick of uh, yeah. all time. No, to this day, nobody like Ray Stevens. Mark my words. Punch, kick, flip, upside down, inside out. Incredible. Here's one from Brian. Brian uh, talks at Clash of Champions 10 in February of 1990. When did you actually realize Sting was legit injured? I've heard stories about Arn and others trying to tell you he was hurt, but you were so caught up in the match you didn't notice. Now, and... and I- Absolutely, absolutely truth. I jumped on his back, not knowing. I had no idea. He fell off the cage towards Patella tendon, I believe. I mean, it was horrible. I felt terrible. And then I jumped out of the cage, ran down the ramp, and jumped on his back. We went down. He said, Rick, God, I'm hurt bad. And I went, oh, shit. Yeah, we were in Corpus Christi, Texas. That was a hell of an angle, too. Well, right, and, and it and it led to the Black Scorpion angle till Sting was okay, and you also had a brief feud with, with JYD. That really upset the apple cart when he got hurt, didn't it? Yes. Yeah, it sure did. Really did. But he was, he came back from it, and I can't, I can't tell you what a great guy Sting is. I got so much time for him, it's ridiculous. He's, every time I see him on TV, I'm happy for him. He always is, um, you know, he, just one of those guys that never goes away by your side. We text periodically, and uh, I'm happy for him, his family. It's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful man. It's a wonderful man. Well, that that was a hell of an angle because just to clarify, Sting didn't get hurt in the match at the end. He had been kicked out of the Four Horsemen earlier in the show, yeah. did a run in, and blew out his knee climbing the cage. Which, like I said, but no, when he fell off it, yeah. Fell off the cage, right, right, which which wrecked the angle, at least for a bit. Now, I said you wrestled JYD. That was 1990. Where was JYD yeah, at I'll tell you something else that happened, and I feel bad about it, but I don't feel bad because I kept my word. Jim Hurd said, let's put the belt on Luger, and I said, I promise Sting. Well, I, I think that was the right move on your part and for the company. I, I Yeah, it, it absolutely was. Um. I mean, it was, it was just a one-minute conversation. I said, you know, this is the guy. You mean, I, we built him so far. Don't let him down. You know, when he comes back, he needs just like like he was never gone. I, I think I think that was the right thing, and um, I'll stand by that forever. Now, you wrestled JYD. Where was he at then? Um, they just weren't very good matches. I don't. I don't think he was pretty invested in the gimmick anymore and very invested in the business. Pretty a nice guy. Um, and I mean, we, we, got, we got along real well, but just, it was hard for me to wrestle a guy that wasn't pretty motivated. And, uh, you know, you run into that a lot. He just had a style. He certainly wasn't built to go long matches, you know, which he never claimed that he was. But uh, that, that was just, that was, you know what Arn did? Arn, they picked me up in Detroit, he and Kevin Sullivan, and I can't remember who else we were traveling with. And they rented a white van and they put milk run on it. <laughs> they put what? 
They wrote Milk Run in black letters with paint on the side of the white van. Milk milk wagon or milk, milk run or something like that. Like we were, you know. Like you were milkmen. Yeah, you know, it, it cracked me. I don't get it. But that meant it was like, I, we had come to the depths and we had reached his down. Oh, there we weren't in an Avis Cadillac anymore. We were driving around in a white van. Just surviving WCW. Now, uh, here's one from Wayne. What are Rick's general thoughts about Raven? Did Raven garner the respect he deserved from management and other wrestlers? Nate, I love the Raven character, the self-loathing grunge loser. Very up-to-date for the time. And I thought Scotty was a pretty smart guy, too. I couldn't stand it. I told him so. Really? <laughs> I couldn't stand the gimmick. Oh, man, we're going to argue about this. Why not? I don't know. I just didn't think sitting in the corner was was, was that cool. I, I never got over it. Uh, sitting down in the middle of the ring, crossing your legs and talking to the audience. I didn't appeal to me either. Well, right, but, but when, when he fought, yeah. he went crazy. It wasn't like he was a terrible worker. It just... I didn't, that say, was, I didn't say he was a terrible worker. He asked him, I like the gimmick. I said, no. See, I wow. Him. See, I thought that was the best gimmick of the 90s. <laughs> I really did. Oh, see, you're going to laugh, but it was up to date. It wasn't, it wasn't antiquated. It was the self-loathing grunge loser. It was Kurt Cobain. It fit with the times. Wait, well, why didn't they make him the world champion? They did in ECW. Why didn't they make him world champion in WCW? I might have. <laughs> well, we would have been out of business sooner. <laughs> well, we, we, we got there anyway, didn't we? <laughs> We didn't. Let me tell you. No, I like I, I like Raven. I wrote the, my book. I couldn't stand the gimmick, but that's just everybody's got a personal preference. I and he, he told me when I saw him. At least I got told I was horrible by the best. <laughs> Not he was a person. I just didn't like the gimmick. So who knows? Well, we we didn't need Raven to go out of business. That's for sure. Now, uh, no, Raven had nothing to do with us going out of business. Right. Exactly. Well, now, now, here's one from Eddie, and this is actually a real good question. Who's a better worker, Shawn Michaels or Ricky Steamboat? Well, you're going to want me to fight with you. The answer is Shawn Michaels, because he can work both ways. Well, we never know if Steamboat could have or would have, but we've already established he should have. Yeah, but, but you're asking me a question directly. Rick, as I said before, Ricky Steamboat was just too nice a guy to ever be a heel. Shawn, equally talented. The two best performers I've ever been in a ring with, both of them, but the best between the two would have to be Sean, because we'll not, you're right, we'll never know about Ricky. So not knowing, I got to go with Sean, who could go both ways and excel at both ways. Does that make sense? No, no question. Not, I... not, 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 not just be good. Sean could excel at both. He's the best in ring performer in the history of our business. Now, here's one from David. Uh, who are the best past and present ring generals out there calling the matches? Uh, I'm not sure if anybody calls the matches today, Nate. I think they're all scripted. I'm pretty sure they are, too. I don't, I don't know. But in the past, Harley Race, myself, Terry Funk, anybody who was the NWA world champion, Ray Stevens, Nick Bockwinkle, um, anybody that was put in a role of having to lead um, you know, back we couldn't talk to each other in the old days, you know, the referee going back and forth. That's hardly a conversation. But you learn how to be a ring general real fast when you're out for an hour. I mean, I've had arguments with guys. Yeah, we just gotta shut them down. They look at it's my way or the highway. 
Because I know I because I know I know I know what I'm doing and you don't. You know what I mean? Well, among the the relatively modern day wrestlers, I've always been told that Kurt Angle was great at calling matches in the ring. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. I, I have never I he tried to call it with me when I wrestled him and I wouldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, I hung on to the rule. <laughs> Well, he, 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 respect, he respected me too much to stretch me. You know, where like Jack Briscoe would take me out in the middle of the ring and <laughs> put the angel on me. <laughs> so, but um, no, it's important. I think, you know, I, I, Shawn Michaels can call a match. Hunter, Hunter was a great leader, too. So, I mean, you know, it, it takes two to dance, man. It takes two to have a great match. And, uh, you know, from the beginning of the show, it said that not everybody's going to be the greatest. You know, a lot of people are going to be really good, and a lot of people are going to have good matches. And but there's only a handful of people again that can really lead a match. But they're that been taught; they've had to learn how to do it to survive in the business. Isn't it amazing, Rick, that it wasn't all that long ago that all the matches were called in the ring, and then Randy Savage went against that grain, and DDP went against that grain. And somehow that way won out that all the matches are totally scripted now. That that boggles my mind that it's like that. Well, it, it, that didn't win out. What won out was a, was a was small promotions closing down in order to becoming two companies. And that, oh, yeah. that, that should put the end to do have to call the matches in the ring because um, I mean just evolution of, and the fact that there's two companies that run it and. And, it, it, and part of the reason their script is because of TV, Mark. Um, the time frame, the hard time, and the in, out. I mean, you, if you sat in Gorilla, which is what we did, the, the control room for WCW, or WWE, excuse me, God forbid, forbid, God forbid, God forgive me, WWE. It's like being in NASA. They've got 10 TVs, they've got eight guys in there, Vince, Bruce, Johnny Ace, um, Billy Kidman doing the time. I mean, it's it's like walking to NASA and watching a rocket take off. And that's the way they approach each match. When they walk through that curtain, the gorilla man, it's on, the timer's on. And, and you, there's a lot for talent to absorb right now. Not to mention the fact that if you're really good, you don't think about it. But if you've had, if you've had a great match, you don't worry about it. But if something's gone wrong, you know you gotta walk back through that curtain and the guy's standing there. And when he goes like this, or he stands up and says, I need to talk to you, or he goes, What? <laughs> you never know. Hey, heels don't draw. I don't know why I keep you around here. Hunter, what were you thinking about? <laughs> yeah, that was Madison Square Garden. <laughs> and finally, here's one from Drew. I'd like to ask Rick about the difference of working for Baba and then Inoki. You worked all Japan forever, but then switched to New Japan in the 90s. I'd like to know how the difference between the companies felt. Well, I didn't switch. WCW did something with them. Right. Yeah, so I didn't switch personally. Um, at that point in time, uh, all the guys that I'd wrestled over the real tough guys were gone anyway. I enjoyed wrestling Fujinami. I mean, I'm not saying that Fujinami wasn't a really tough kid. He was, but the guys from the 70s and 80s, when I was going over, the, they could really <laughs> throw, throw me around. 
didn't throw Harley around, but they threw me around. Uh, and they could, you know. Um, um, and I don't know whether I, if they could have beat me, but I, I certainly didn't have to find out. But, you know, I've been put in that position a couple of times over there. Um, but um, it, was a, it, was, it was just totally different the, 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 from the 80s, 70s to 80s to 80s to 90s. Totally different. Just like the 90s to today is. Everything is slowed down. The aggressive attitudes, the the uh, the, the, the allowed to be crazy is not is not is not uh, allowed anymore. You have to get over on your talent. You have to get over because you bring something to the table in terms of charisma, skill, look, persona, whatever it might be that Vince or Tony look for, and that's the bottom line. It's not the attitude. the companies were totally different at that time. Well, Nate, that wraps it up for another week. Uh, we got to shoot up. I think we did a fair amount of shooting today, but uh, but we could do more next week. What, do you, what are your plans for Christmas? Happy holidays. Here, Tampa. Wendy's in Paris. Paris? Yes, she's in Paris with two of the girls. Wow. Yep. Is she going to be there for – she'll be in uh, the – what's the very famous church over there? Uh, uh, Notre Dame. Cathedral de Notre Dame. Is that in Paris? Yeah. Yeah, that's where she'll be. I think that's it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. She's really big on that and the girls. And uh, Sophia will be here with me. And I'll be at a place called Joe Toro. I'll be at the JW Marriott. I'll be at a place called The Battery. I'll be at a place called Joe Gomez and Dino Graficani's. And I'll be festive. And you'll be all. And you? And what will you be doing? Oh, I'm going to some friends' houses. I won't be quite as festive, but I don't have Joe Gomez and, and Traficani either. Well, that's okay. I got that. I need backup. <laughs> <laughs> Nate, great stuff as always. Thanks thank to you. Steve Kaufman, our fantastic producer. Steve, thank you. Hey, shout out to Car Shield. They're going to be backing us, guys, next time around. Fantastic. First of the year. I got that firsthand. Well, there we go. That's Ric Flair. I'm Mark Madden. Thank you for listening to Woo Nation Uncensored. Woo! Merry Christmas from the day.